I'm giving you 15 minutes. You will begin with your understanding of the Bible and you will end with your understanding of the return of Jesus. And in between, you will talk about all the major doctrines of the Christian faith in a way that will make sense for your life and the lives of others. Can you do it? Let me help you join us for this series that we're doing on Sunday night called Doctrines for Living. Well, you can be turning tonight. We're going to get there in a little bit to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're also going to go tonight to 2 Peter chapter 1, but we're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We are talking now about the uh, Bible as the special revelation of God. And when we talk about the Bible as the special revelation of God, we're talking about the only book in the world through which God speaks to us. If we want to hear God speak, and we all as believers want to hear the voice of God, doesn't require that we go to a monastery or a convent somewhere and isolate ourselves, doesn't require that we go to a mountain retreat. What it requires is we open the Bible. And we read the Bible and we study the Bible because when we open the Bible and read the Bible and study the Bible, this is where we hear the voice of God. Now, in order for us to uh, understand the nature and character of the Bible as the authoritative voice of God, then we must understand two things about its authority. We must understand the source of the authority of the Bible and we must understand the scope of that authority. And so we have begun to talk about the source of the authority of the Bible, which requires us to talk about three things, inspiration, infallibility, inerrancy. Inspiration simply means that the Bible comes from God. It is God's word to us. Infallibility uh, means that the Bible cannot contain errors. If the Bible contains errors, then it ceases to be the pure, absolute truth of God. Inerrancy simply means that it does not. Inerrancy means it does not contain errors. Infallibility means that it cannot have errors. And both of those things are very, very important. Uh, people who are not believers, when they take the Bible and read the Bible, they do not believe it is an errant, infallible book. When people who are believers begin to have doubt about their faith, the source and substance of that doubt, without a doubt, has to do with the Bible. Is the Bible really the inerrant, infallible Word of God. You and I live in a world uh, that is saturated with uh, secular liberalism and secular humanism where many of those that, co- that operate in that context, uh, they not only question the Bible and its authority, they attack the Bible and its authority, and they sow seeds by design in the minds of those who listen to them uh, to cause them to doubt the inerrancy and infallibility 
of the Bible. When you get to a place that you doubt the inerrancy and infallibility of the Bible, the next step is that you will doubt its sufficiency. And you will begin not only to turn away from the Bible, you will begin to turn to other sources that you believe are more reliable to give you answers for your uh, questions and to give you resolution to your struggle. So it's very important that we spend an adequate amount of time talking about inspiration, infallibility, and inerrancy, which we're hopefully going to do tonight, and then talk about the scope of authority, which means we're going to talk about uh, canonicity, which means how many books are there in the Bible. You and I say there are 66. Roman Catholics say there are a lot more books than that because they include other books in the Bible. And the question of sufficiency, which I think is the most important question of all, and that question is is asking, is the Bible enough for our lives? Does it give us everything that we need for the living of our lives? Let me pose a question for you. Do you believe that every issue you will face in your life and every issue you're facing in your life right now If you dug down to the core root of that issue, you would find that it is spiritual. I believe that. And I believe the Bible drives us to assess every situation in our lives in light of its spiritual root because the answer to our questions is given to us by God in his holy, inerrant, infallible, and fully sufficient word. So let's talk about let's talk about inspiration. Chapter three of Second Timothy begins by setting before us the contrast between those in the world and those under the word of God, those who do not belong to God, and because they don't belong to God, they cannot and will not receive the word of God into their lives as an absolute authority. So look at chapter 3 of Second Timothy, and look at verses 1 through 10, because verses 1 through 10 establish for us the condition of the world into which or in which the church lives under the authority of the word of God. Second Timothy chapter 3. Understand this, that in the last days, now <clears throat> Paul knew Paul understood what you and I must know and understand. The last days began the day that Jesus came to earth, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. You and I have been in the last days since Jesus came. Now, Paul makes that very clear, as do the rest of the writers of the New Testament, and that is made clear because when God came in Jesus... God brought to us his final revelation. 
Everything we're going to get from God is in Jesus. And Jesus bears witness to the absolute authority of Scripture. So when Jesus bears witness to the absolute authority of Scripture, we can conclude, and I believe rightly, that the final word we're going to get from God is the Bible. It's God's absolute, total, exclusive truth. So this is what Paul says. In the last days, there will come times of, I'm at the end of verse 1, chapter 3, times of, what do you have in your Bible? Difficulty. Anybody have anything else than difficulty? Hard times. That's a wonderful translation. Huh? Perilous. That's a good translation. Hard, uh, hard times, the first one, the ESV that I'm, from which I'm reading reads times of difficulty. That's okay, but it doesn't get to the core of this word in the original language. The original language means times that are absolutely horrible. In the last days, there will be times that are absolutely horrible. The word times here is a Greek word that means seasons. Now you just trace your life back from your earliest remembrance till today. Whether you're older or younger. Obviously those who are older will have more to reflect on. This is what I think you would conclude. In your life, you have had seasons, three months, three years, that were absolutely horrible. They were terrible times. And you've had other seasons that were far better, right? That's the nature of life in this world. And what Paul is saying is that in the last days, there will be seasons that are extremely hard. They are perilous times. They are hard times. They are difficult times. Why? What will cause these difficult times? Now, remember, he's writing to the church. And these difficult times will be because <clears throat> we are the church of God living under the word of God, but we're living in a world that cares nothing about the Word of God and rejects the Word of God. That's our situation. <clears throat> so Paul introduces here what I call the unholy trinity. That whenever there are difficult times, it is because the world is characterized by three things, two of them in verse 2, the third one in verse 4. The world will be a place where people become increasingly lovers of self. Can you see that in the world in which we live? Carl Truman has just written and published a brilliant book in which he says the number one problem in the United States of America is what he calls expressive individualism. And what he means by that is 
that we're living in, the, in a world, we're living in the United States in a culture where we are celebrating individualism. You be you, I'll be me. We're, we're celebrating that. And it's not that we're just wanting to live that way and I leave you alone and you leave me alone. We're wanting to live it out loud. It's not enough that in this kind of culture that we are able to have people saying, I was born a man, but I am now a woman. Expressive individualism means I was born a man, but I'm now a woman. And not only do you need to get over it, you need to get used to it, and you need to embrace it. And if you are not embracing it, you're participating in hate speech and may go to court for a hate crime. I went home today at lunch, and I thought about how from, I believe, a godly perspective, the pastoral prayer I prayed this morning about uh, Muslims and others, Jews and others, how biblically right that was. But I also thought there will come a day when preachers will be arrested for prayers in this country like that because it will be seen as hate speech and participation in a hate crime. So lovers of self, lovers of money. The word for money here has to do not only with money, but what money can buy. If you're a lover of self, then you're going to be a lover of money. And then look down at verse 4. This is the condition of the world. Lovers of pleasure. The word here is the word from which we get hedonism. It means I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live where, the way I want to live. I'm going to be who I want to be. And I'm going to do that because my life is my own. I will live it as I desire. And I have the money and means to do that. Now, in between those things, he just gives us descriptives. This is what the world looks like <laughs> when people are loving themselves, loving money, and loving pleasure. These are just some things. This is not an exhaustive list. Look at what he says. Verse 2, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. What is the first characteristic of people in the world during this kind of time? What is it? What do you have in your text? What's the word? They're proud. Do you have a word proud? What's the next word? What's the difference between pride and arrogant? Original language, there are big differences. Pride is the normal condition of every sinful human being. Arrogance is expressing that in a way that's clear. Abusive. Abusive. Speaking words that are hurtful and harmful to others. Abusive to people who don't do what you want them to do. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. These are just some of the characteristics of a world that's captured by Satan and sin, living for ourselves, living for that which is material that money can buy, and living for the pursuit of pleasure. 
Now look at the end of verse 4 because he says, Lovers of pleasure rather than what? Oh, oh, Al, I know people who love themselves and they love money, material things, and they love the pursuit of pleasure, but they still love God. You've got an issue with Paul. Because what does Paul say? Paul says, these kind of people don't love God, but they project, look at verse 5, they project an outward appearance that seems to indicate that they do. They have the appearance of godliness but they deny its power. Now, remember, Paul is speaking to the church here, and he tells the church what to do with such people. At the end of verse 5, what does he say that we are to do? Why would you want to avoid people like this? Because Satan's reason for putting them in your life is to capture you. And to change your way of living and being in the world. To bring you from attentive living to the authority of God's word. To living like the rest of the world is living. Listen to what he says. I'm not making this up. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, just as Janus and Jambres, I wonder if they were twins, opposed Moses. So these men, Janus and Jambres, uh, they're found in the writings of ancient rabbis that wrote about the time of Moses in Egypt. These two were among the powerful Egyptian magicians who opposed Moses and were able in some cases to produce the same kind of miracles that Moses was producing when he and Aaron encountered Pharaoh. These men also opposed the truth. Now he says three things about people who are giving an appearance of godliness. They appear to be very knowledgeable. Listen to what he says about them. They oppose the truth. They're corrupted in mind. They are disqualified regarding the faith. When do they show up? In times of difficulty. In hard times. They show up in a world appealing to people. Where are they, where are they found? They're found in the church and they show up appealing to people who love themselves who love money, and who love the pursuit of pleasure. And people listen to them. Why would people listen to them? Why wouldn't people know better than to listen to them? Because these who don't teach the truth are teaching those who don't know the truth. The number one group in the United States of America that are in the Mormon church in America used to be Southern Baptist. How in the world could a large swath of Southern Baptists become Mormons because of our lack of teaching truth? That's why I think a series like this is so important. And so necessary for us, particularly in our day, 
and in the days to come. Verse 9, Paul says, thankfully, they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of these two men, Janus and Jambres. Now, I want to show you what Paul does. He turns then to the church. And if you mark in your Bible, you might want to mark these three things. Verse 10, verse 10 begins with the words, you, however, or something like that, you, however. Go to verse 14, it begins with the word, but as for you. Go down to chapter 4, verse 9, uh, verse 5, I'm sorry. It says, as for you. Now, who is the you here? Timothy. Paul is talking to a preacher boy. And he's talking to a preacher boy who is preaching in the church in Ephesus as the main teacher. And he's having a hard time because so many people there have compromised the truth. And Timothy's timid. Timothy wants to be liked by the people, and the people are coming after him because he is preaching and teaching the truth. Never have we more needed preachers and teachers who will preach and teach the truth of God because they have studied the Word of God to know the Word of God. I said last week here, and I'm glad there was just enough of you here to meet in a broom closet last week. I I said last week, and I knew when I said it, that it was a dangerous thing to say. Uh, It created a lot of concern, a lot of confusion, a lot of conflict. I talked about pastors who need to be trained in the biblical languages. Now, I know lots of pastors who are not trained in the biblical languages. But let me tell you what I have a passion for. I have a passion for preachers to know the Word of God as fully as they can know it. I have a passion for men to stand in the pulpit and open the book, and they spend hours studying the book, poring over the book, so they can preach and teach the truth of God. Does that mean if you do that, you're not going to get some things wrong? As long as I'm a sinner, I'll get things wrong. But I think our world has been full of preachers who have taken, in my opinion, taken their callings less than seriously. I want a man in the pulpit who opens the book and takes that calling seriously and understands the nature and character of the depths of the truth of the Word of God. February the 27th, 2022, I will have been ordained as a gospel minister 50 years. When I first started, I had to go through an ordination council. There were seven men on my ordination council, seven One of them was my pastor, who loved me (laughs) and would have ordained me no matter what. One of them was my best friend. One of them was my mentor, who was a person who invested a lot in my life. One of them was Ann's pastor at the time, who loved me because he loved Ann and her family so much. One of them was a man I didn't know. He was an older man, but he came to my ordination council. 
He started asking me biblical questions in my ordination council. Theological questions. I couldn't answer any question he asked. This is what I knew God had called me to preach. And I wanted to preach. That night, when that ordination council voted to ordain me, the vote to ordain me was six yeses and one no. It would be years later. I didn't like that old man for a long time. It would be years later. I still get emotional talking about this. I'm sorry. It'd be years later before I realized the only true vote on that council was cast by that one man. I was not equipped to preach. Now, God preserved his word even through, I mean, he preserved his word through a donkey once, right? I had no, no reason. And that man saw it. I needed to be taught. I needed to be trained. I needed to be equipped. Years later, I found him. Praise God, he was still living. And I thanked him. You cast that night the one vote that got my attention and caused me to go on and do the training that I needed to do. Paul here is pouring into Timothy. He's pointing to Timothy and he says, you... You, Timothy, you followed my, again, I I want you in your Bibles here, you followed my what? The word teaching here means doctrine. You followed my doctrine, my theology. Paul taught Timothy theology. He taught him what to believe and where to to get his belief from the Bible, the Old Testament at that point, what we would call, you followed my teaching, you followed my conduct. I I knew what I said last week about uh, pastors needing to know the languages to teach. I knew that could be perceived, and rightly so, as a prideful statement. Pride is our basic sin. I fought pride all my life as a pastor. It's not a, it is not a useful part of a pastor's conduct. It is harmful. My teaching, my conduct. Paul says, you not only listen to my teaching, my doctrine, you've watched my life. And you know my aim in life. You know my faith, which has to do with faithfulness. You know my patience. You know my love, my steadfastness. Look at verse 11. You know my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. And then he names the places. He was persecuted and suffered for the gospel at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. He was put in prison. He was beaten with rods simply because he would not compromise the truth of the gospel. He was committed to the truth of God's word. Yet from all these, the Lord rescued me. Verse 12, verse 12 scares me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. You ever want to do this with your Bible? I want to take white out. Do you know what white out is? 
I want to take it right here and change the verb. I want Paul to say, you might be persecuted. But what does he say? If you desire to live under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, the godly life he calls you to live in the world, you will be persecuted. Who won't be persecuted? Evil people and what? Verse 13, and what? He's talking about those people back in the uh, back in verse 5 who have the appearance of godliness, but they deny the power of God. The outward appearance, their words seem right, their way of life looks okay. They're imposters. Uh, they're deceived and they will deceive others. Paul says, as for you, Timothy, this is what you need to do. You need to follow my example. You need to pay attention to what I taught you. I wasn't teaching you that which you need just in order to have it. You need it that you can stand upon it. It's the foundation of your life. You've got to know doctrine. You've got to know what you believe. Oh, well, I don't want to know doctrine. I just want to love Jesus and love people. No, 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 that's not enough. You've got to know what the Bible says. And you've got to pour yourself into understanding what the Bible says. And then he makes a transition in verse 14. The second, as for you. As for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. But as for you, continue. You know what the word continue means? It means continue. I would pray everyone in this room could say, I remember when I became a Christian. I remember that. You may not remember the exact day or the exact time. I don't think that's of ultimate or infinite importance. But you remember the season in your life when God invaded your life through the gospel, convicted you of your sin, brought you to repentance, you turned your life to Jesus. You remember, you remember that time. And I pray everyone in this room can look back from where you are now and say, oh my, how God has changed me since then. How God has grown me since then. How much is different in my life than when I first started. I love Jesus more. I love his word more. I've learned so much about what the Bible teaches that I did not know before. God has grown me and God has changed. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. You continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Stand upon this. Keep growing, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from, verse 15, and how from, I love this so much, and how from, what's the word there? Childhood. Most translations have childhood. The word is baby. <laughs> from a baby. Woman gets pregnant. She's conceived a child. That very moment, that mama and that daddy need to be talking to that child, telling them about Jesus. They can't hear. Yes, they can. 
They need to be hearing the gospel. They need to be hearing of God's love. They need to be understanding. Read scripture over them. Pray over them. Paul says, Timothy, from the moment that you were a baby, you've been acquainted with the, this is the word or one of the phrases used for the Bible in the Bible, the sacred writings, the holy writings, the most important writings in the universe. I want to tell you something, friends. I can go over the top when I talk about those responsible for preaching and teaching the Word of God on a regular basis, investing everything they need to invest to learn this Word as much as they can. I can be over the top because I know what I'm holding. I know what I am called to preach and teach every week. When James said, let not many of you become teachers, do you think he was kidding? Why did he say that? Because of what we're handling. And we want to make sure that we get it right. Paul says to Timothy, from the time you're a baby, you've been acquainted with these sacred writings. Where did he get this acquaintance from the time he was a baby? Thank you. They said, mother and grandmother, Timothy's daddy was a pagan. Don't ever underestimate the role of mamas and grandmamas in your life. I don't know how many of you grew up in a home where your daddy was a faithful follower of Jesus and pointed you to Jesus. I know you did. But how many of the rest of us? Most of us got our early learning in following Jesus from our mamas, grandmothers. I didn't get mine from my mother or my father. Wished I had but I had a grandmother. We called her Big Mama. When I got saved, I, the first place I went to was to my best friend. The second place I went to was my Big Mama. Big Mama, I just gave my life to Jesus. I know, sweetheart. I've been praying for you since they got you from University Hospital in Augusta. I know. Don't underestimate the role of mamas. We have so many children in our culture right now that don't have fathers. And we grieve over that. That's a horrible situation. But Eunice and Lois, what they did was they just poured into Timothy. He was taught the sacred writings. He was taught the word of God. And what does the word of God do? Look at verse 15. From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Three things there they do. This is what the Bible does. The Bible gives us knowledge that becomes the foundation for wisdom, and without that knowledge, we can have no wisdom. There is no wisdom of the world that is worth having 
Wisdom that is worth having comes from the knowledge of God through his word. That's the first thing. The Bible gives us wisdom for salvation. For is pointing to the future, to that ultimate salvation that we'll receive when we enter into glory. We, according to the Bible, we were saved on the day that Jesus went to the cross to purchase through the shedding of his blood our salvation. We are being saved right now because we receive Jesus as Lord through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we are growing in that salvation now until that day we'll be received into heaven. What is it we need more than anything as we're making that journey toward heaven? We need the word of God. That's what Paul is saying. It makes us wise toward salvation because the Bible grows us in faith in Jesus Christ. It enables us to grow in our faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Why? Because of what it is. Verse 16. All Scripture, all Scripture. That means every word of it. Do you believe there are any stray words in the Bible? (laughs) Any wasted words? No. Every word is important. Every word has power. All Scripture. All Scripture is breathed out. This is inspiration. This is what inspiration means. Inspiration that we talked about. Whoops, I went the wrong way. Inspiration, let me back up a minute here, sorry, inspiration means the breathing out of God, so what is the Bible, do this for me just a moment, just indulge me for a moment, breathe in, (gasps) now breathe out. What you just did is what this word is is that's used in 2 Timothy 3. What is the Bible? It's the breathing. What's in God is breathed onto this page. Is that marvelous? It's the expiration. We use the expiration for death, but it's a word that means the out-breathing of God. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Uh, Last Sunday in our Sunday school class, we were talking about uh, doubt. Our text was Thomas. We were talking about doubt and what doubt really is. Um, and, And doubt is questioning, just asking questions. I hope all of you, when you study your Bible, whether you're doing it privately or in a group, are always asking questions. That's good. That's healthy. That's right. I'll take a legal pad when I'm preparing to preach and teach. I'll take a legal pad and I'll write down every word that I believe needs to be researched in a text. 
And I'm asking, Paul, I don't really know what you mean by that word. For example, in preparation for this coming Sunday where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and you know Jesus says uh, the enemy of the sheep comes to steal, to kill. I looked at that word kill. It's a unique Greek word. It's not used much. And so I looked at that word and I thought, I don't know what that word means. Well, to kill is to kill, right? So I looked at it. It's never used in the Bible outside a context of sacrifice. So how does Satan kill you? By seducing you into sacrificing your life for what is most important to you so that you don't have time or energy left for anything that is kingdom related. All Satan wants you to do is to be consumed by things that don't matter, things that are worldly and fleshly. That's, that's the nature of the word. So, you know what the powerful thing is? Jesus came to sacrifice himself for us who are sinners. All scriptures breathed out by God and it's profitable. What's it profitable for? Teaching. Word teaching, here's the word for doctrine. We learn doctrine through the word of God. We learn what we believe. It's profitable for reproof. We can get things wrong in the Bible. Do you believe that? We can misinterpret the Bible. We can misunderstand the Bible. And the Bible is given by God to reproof us for correction. That's an orthopedic term. It sets us straight. That's what it means. For training, we grow in our right relationship with God through the Bible. As we read the Bible and as we study the Bible and as we learn the Bible. And what's the goal? That the man of God may be complete. The Bible makes us complete and equips us for every good work. There's nothing more important to the life of the believer than the Bible. So Paul continues... Chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. What does he say Timothy must do above all else? Preach the word. Preach the word. When? When should the preacher preach the word? Well, he tells us, in season and out of season. Can I translate that as a Baptist preacher? When people like it and when they don't. Preach. The preacher only has one book and one message, and it's the Bible. Preach the Bible. Open the Bible. Preach the Word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and do it with perseverance and do it with teaching. Teach God's word. Be patient. For the time is coming. Now look at how this began. Understand this. Chapter 3, verse 1. Understand this. 
that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. He's picking this theme up again. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. By the way, where are these people? They're not in the world. (laughs) They're in the church. There will come a time when the church will say to the preacher, we don't want you to preach the word of God. We want you to preach what we want you to preach. Why? Because people in that kind of place have itching ears. And they want teachers who will accommodate their own passions. So they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. One final ask for you, verse number five. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. It has nothing to do with alcohol. It has to do with being clear about the calling. Clear about the calling. Preach the word. Keep your mind focused on the word of God. Endure Suffering. Suffering comes with being faithful to the word of God. Always will. For you and for me. You can't live your life in this world seeking to be faithful to the word of God without people creating suffering for you. You're going to suffer. Do the work of an evangelist. Share the gospel with people one-on-one. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. The ministry of the preacher, the ministry of the teacher, the ministry of the church is tied to being faithful to the Word of God. And our being faithful to the Word of God is tied, I believe, to our being committed to what the Bible is. And I pray, and I believe with all my heart, I know this is true, I There's not a person in here that would not stand up tonight and say, I believe the Bible is the absolute truth of God, that it is inerrant, it is infallible, and it is fully sufficient. And we base who we are and what we do as a church on the Word of God. Questions or comments? I want to give you time to do that. Um, I had a bunch of slides tonight, but I started preaching and couldn't quit. So, sorry. I need you to, uh, do, as we go through this series, I've never taught anything like this before. I've always wanted to. But it's hard. It's not easy to teach this. It's, it's difficult. It's demanding. Uh, It requires you to come and think. (laughs) You just have to think. So I had somebody say to me this week, uh, Al, you're way over my head. Well, help me. Ask questions. Um, There are no stupid questions. 
the, uh, I think I thought about John 8 today when the disciples looked at Jesus and said, who are you now? I would think you've been with him three years. You don't know who he is. <laughs> that may be a stupid question. But ask questions. Help me communicate. That's part of your role, just to help me communicate. And I know these are the kind of things you think about every day. You don't go through your day thinking, let me think some more today about the inerrancy of Scripture and the fallibility. I, I hope you do, but you may not, so help me. Is that, a good, is that a deal? And if I'm... I don't know if I want to say this or not. I had a preacher friend of mine who uh, somebody said to him, walked up to him and said in his church, <laughs> you're over my head, and he said, lift up your head. I, I, don't, want to say, <laughs> I don't want to say that because I want to help you. Uh, because these things are very important. Well, we'll meet together on Wednesday night. Hopefully, you can join us on Wednesday night for our prayer time. We have a wonderful prayer time on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. And weather permitting, we'll be in here. If not, we'll be over in the old fellowship hall. Uh, the, um, and then next Sunday morning and Sunday night. Father, we thank you for a wonderful day you've given us. For every expression of your goodness and grace to us, Every expression of your goodness and grace to us and kindness toward us is undeserved, and we confess that to you. We do want to be a Bible people. Uh, We want to be a Bible-saturated people. We want to do everything we do and live in such a way that the foundation is the Word of God. And even praying that tonight, I'm reminded of what's happening next door in the Awana Club. And uh, thank you for Glenn and his leadership there and all the children that are gathered for the Iwana Club, and thank you that they're learning your word and they're learning the importance of your word. You have blessed that ministry over the years, and we thank you for it and pray that you would continue to prosper it. Uh, Father, watch over us this week. We do uh, pray for people that are uh, facing uh, surgeries this week, and uh, we pray that you would watch over them. And uh, we want to pray for Jesse Uh, Palmer tonight as he goes in for surgery tomorrow because of a kidney stone for Deke Solomon who will be having surgery this week for uh, Reese Jones who will be having surgery either this week or sometime soon and and others Uh, we want to pray tonight for Jane who um, has um, battled a lot of issues recently and now is battling bronchitis and uh, God I want to thank you Uh, personally for this uh, prayer warrior who calls me every Saturday uh, to uh, pray for me uh, as I move towards Sunday. And God, that is worth more to me as a preacher than than anything in the whole world. So strengthen her, I pray, and bless her and others that uh, we, uh, that I just can't remember right now. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen.